Coming up, should you teach your kids to lie? Have you had really vivid dreams lately? And is that a good thing or not? Yeah, you remember the one dirty ones. Oh, <laughs> and are your pants racist? What? <laughs> uh, it's all coming up on this edition of The Deep Three. Hi, everybody. My name is Steve Cochran. I am live in Chicago. Live, more or less, depends on the time of day. And on the radio every morning on the Big 890 WLS. And I am Patty Steele. I am lingering on the edge of being alive here in New York City. I work every single morning with Scott Shannon on CBS FM in New York. We've been friends forever, so here's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We give you two friends, three topics, and we knock it all out in about 15 minutes. Are you ready? Yeah. Are, are we on a clock here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Clock is ticking. Oh. Yeah. You might. You can't hear it, but I can hear it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh great. <laughs> I, of course, I can also hear the voices in my head. Um, uh, all right. Let's start with this because we're both parents. Should right. you teach your kids to lie? What do we know? Well, there's a new study and they say that actually adults seem to prefer kids who tell little lies over absolute truths. Now, but keep in mind, this includes like walking up to the next door neighbor and a little kid going, wow, that's a really ugly dress, Mrs. Smith. Right. right. As opposed to saying, don't you look lovely today? Mm -hmm. So basically, they said they showed adults videos of little kids being brutally honest or lying in certain situations. And they showed that adults actually liked the kids that tell a harmless lie. And they said it's clear a lot of parents have been embarrassed by their kids' brutal honesty at some point. But then there's the big question. Kids are pretty black and white. So if you say to a kid, oh, you need to not tell her that her dress is ugly. You need to tell her she looks great. Don't tell grandma that her uh, lipstick is smeared all over yep. her face. Tell her she looks really pretty. You're telling the kid that sometimes you should lie. And that's complicated for them to navigate. And, and by the way, it doesn't matter uh, how good a parent you may actually be or how good a parent you're trying to be. There are those silent signals that teach your kids behavior that get embedded. It's mm -hmm. not a formal sit down lesson, but a kid will accidentally learn to lie in life just mm -hmm. by living life. The question is, is there an intentionality to it? Did I just invent a word? Yeah. Okay, you, would, you, <laughs> would you intentionally teach your kids to lie for the greater good of all of us? Because that's what it comes down to. It's the how, the when, and the why, right? But because how do you, you answer tell the them how, the when, and the why? How do you get the how do you get the nuance in there? Like it's okay to lie if somebody looks really crappy and you don't, but you don't want to say that they look really. How do you say to them in this situation it's okay to lie, but never lie to your mother? You know, how do you help them navigate that at a certain age? The theory that I have, and you can tell me this is nonsense, but I believe every family has a specific language uh -huh. and the language of your family could be different than the family next door. But I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, uh, I know somebody very well who uh, distinguishes between a surprise and a secret. Mm -hmm. They don't use the word lie because lie is very harsh. Yes. But the idea would be, uh, hey, tell your mom this, let's lie to your mom so she doesn't know what we're getting her for her birthday. Right. Now, a lie can be close to a secret. So instead of a secret, they use the word surprise. In other words, there's an acceptance in this family language that a kid's going to learn about lying eventually. Right. And they're going to have to make a choice based on the way you help bring them up. It's not perfect, but the word you choose will help determine the labeling they put on it. Because 
a surprise or a secret could be a lie. It all depends on how you label it. And again, intent matters, right? Right. So in other words, if I'm 14 years old and I slip out the back door and I run away with my boyfriend for the evening and I come back and my mother says, where were you? And you say, oh, I've been in my room. Surprise. (laughs) Is that not the same? (laughs) It's probably not exactly the same. And the kid also can explain, listen, I just didn't want to upset you. That's why I'm lying to you. That's why Um, I'm surprising you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because there was nothing in it for the kid. Um, it's not a perfect science, but I believe that kids grow up in a world where they will learn about lying. Mm-hmm. You can say lying is a bad thing, rarely works out well, but there are times where a hurtful truth to someone may not be the right way to go. And anytime you need to figure it out, you should come back to us because clearly we have all the answers. Right. Exactly. Well, maybe the answer in that particular kind of case is that it is kinder not to say anything rather than to blurt out what you think. Maybe you don't have to lie and say, oh, that's the most beautiful dress I've ever seen. You don't want them to do that. Maybe you just say, you know, if you don't like something, like if you're at dinner at someone's house or you're it's it's kinder to just not say anything. It's a great point. Kindness could be the key differentiator there. Right. Yep. Um. But if you are eating something that you don't like and you eventually throw up on your own plate, that may be an indicator for the hostess. Yum, gravy. Or the host. Exactly. So, you know, I love what you made tonight and I don't know how that happened. (laughs) I was so excited eating it that I regurgitated. (laughs) Topic number two. Let's move on to dreams. Do you remember your dreams? I sometimes do. Um, and sometimes I, and I, I do find, I mean, we talked a long time ago, we talked about how, remember we were talking about Thomas Edison waking himself up yep. after falling asleep and feeling more creative because he remembered dreams and he remembered um, sort of creative impulses that he has as he went to sleep. And, and I do f- the way he did it was he held two steel balls in his hand. Right. And, and when he, he went, fell asleep, the yep, balls would sleep. drop. Exactly. And when the balls dropped, it would wake him up and he would be at a highly creative state. Now, interestingly enough, as he got older, his balls would also drop. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this story. That's and it wasn't totally very creative. <laughs> yeah, he didn't feel as creative then. So um, a lot of people have been talking about very recently that they're having a little bit more realistic dreams. And so researchers took a look at this and they said, First of all, folks who go to bed late and wake up late have more vivid dreams. And a lot of us have been doing that, particularly during the pandemic, because you don't have to get up so early to get ready to run off to work as you were at home. So you maybe go to bed an hour later and get up an hour after that. And surprisingly, that contributes to vivid dreams. They also say that this time of year, cooler temperatures and a lack of sunlight can impact your sleep patterns. And that also can lead to more vivid dreams. They also say like, if you eat late at night, um, that's another thing. (laughs) It can fire you up. Yeah. Now uh, you're a dog lover. So am I. Yeah. Um, It's always funny to see your dog dream. Oh yeah. Because generally speaking, (laughs) yeah, generally speaking, they run, Mm -hmm. but I've talked to veterinarian, I've talked to veterinarians about it and go, it's not all pretty pictures of your dog chasing a bunny and just having a good time or playing ball with you said sometimes dog dreams can be triggered by fear in dogs, but you shouldn't wake them up because a dog, if you wake a dog up that's scared, you might lose a finger. 
<laughs> I've never had that problem with my dogs. They're pretty docile, but yeah, I it's it is interesting, and I do know that I've heard this before that they say also frequently when you hear a dog sort of whimper in its sleep that a lot of times it has to do with them fearing that you're not around them, like dreaming that they're not there or they can't find you. Now, um, you you know, a masterclass masterclass is this cool series that you can buy of famous people talking about an expertise that they have and you can learn from it on your own time. Right. You know, in an on-demand world, there was a masterclass about dreams. Do you know there's seven different types of dreams that are identified? Like what? I, I did not. Um, there's mm-hmm. daydreams, mm-hmm. you know, where you're in the middle of the day and you're not asleep, but you could not be less interested in something someone's saying, like the thing you're going through right now while I talk. <laughs> um, there's also the f- that's a great picture on the wall behind your head. <laughs> there's also the false awakenings where you believe you've woken up, but you're still in a dream. You ever yeah. had that? Yes, I have. Oof. Oof. And that sleep paralysis thing that people have talked about, which is a medical thing that actually happens, that comes out of that dream. There's the healing dream where you dream that you have some sort of supernatural healing powers. I don't don't know that I've ever had that. I don't remember that. Nope. Um, You know, if you're dreaming that you're Jesus, eh, maybe check the ego at the door. Right. Um, The lucid dream where you're aware you're dreaming, but you're still actually dreaming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that happen. That's a weird one. Yep. Uh, nightmares, obviously prophetic dreams where you have dreams that are almost psychic and then something happens and you go, oh, my God, I had that dream two nights ago. That was Abraham Lincoln right before his assassination. Right. And he told people about it. Yeah. And then the recurring dream. And I know you've had this. I don't want to be redundant, but like the dream we all have where we're in a canoe with Regis Philbin, the Pope and Oprah, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, the old dream. We've all had it. Oh, I didn't think that was a dream. I thought that was real. Damn. Yeah, you were actually having the lucid Regis Philbin Pope and Oprah dream. <laughs> exactly. Um, they say that if you don't dream, or I should say don't remember your dream, you're not getting quality sleep because you've never reached the REM state of sleep. That's where you get into that dream state, and that's when you remember them. And and that's exactly what we were talking about, Thomas Edison. He would only drop his balls once he, um, and I know you like it when I say that, he yeah, would only uh, drop his balls when he reached that deep sleep where right. you you sort of unclench, you know, that's where you re- totally relax and then your body. Yeah, and, and dropping your balls and unclenching sounds like a completely different podcast. I, <laughs> I'm willing to do it. <laughs> I just don't know. Um, and finally, as we give you our two friends, three topic, 15 minute treatment, are your pants racist? Are they Last I checked, no, but I might have to have a discussion with them. I'm so not you sure. you have a story about racist denim? Well, so this was very interesting. There's a guy who says he's obsessed with finding denim in strange locations. He refers to himself as a denim archaeologist. Oh, who didn't want to be that when they were in school? Right, exactly. And so he said after probably traveling through 150, 200 old mines, he found a pair of old Levi's in an abandoned mine in New Mexico. They were from 1880. And one of the things that made these pants so uh, valuable and also so racist was they had a big um, patch inside that said, the only kind made by white labor. And 
apparently in 1882, there was this big movement against allowing Chinese laborers into the country to take jobs from Americans, because if you'll remember, and I'm sure you're vividly aware of the financial state of the U.S. in the early 1880s. Sure, sure. I wrote a paper about it. (laughs) There was a big depression back then. So they didn't want Chinese people coming in and taking jobs that they felt they needed. So it was a legitimate marketing tool to say white people made these? Yes. So Levi's say uh, Levi's people said that they um, they're proud mostly of their heritage, but not that particular part of their heritage. They said they dropped both the policy and the slogan in 1890, although the law trying to ban um, Chinese people from the states for labor purposes lasted until like sometime in the 1930s. But the interesting thing about these pants back to the racist pants They uh, went up for auction and um, a guy who collects odd things, including denim um, and a 23 year old kid who's his pal, went in together to buy these pants. They paid eighty seven thousand dollars for them. Well, and here's the ultimate truth. And just like every other pair of jeans, once you got them home, they didn't fit right. Right. (laughs) They said the interesting thing, they said these are sort of like the holy grail of old jeans because um, they said there are other pairs of old jeans like that, mostly in museums and stuff. But they said they're very in very weak condition. They said these are still so in such good shape with a little bit of patching, which who would do that on something they spent eighty thousand, eighty seven thousand dollars on. But they said that they are were very wearable still. Um, They didn't have a fly, of course. They didn't. They had, they're they're built. I like I looked at the picture of them. They're a little odd looking and they have little white dots all over them. Turns out the little white dots all over them were because back in those days, miners would carry a, a candle on a little thing as they moved through the mine. It was the only light that oh, they so had. drips of wax. So they were drips of wax. And for whatever reason, somebody working in that mine at some point decided to take his pants off. And that's well, where they stayed. It can get a little hot down there and chafing and mining is never a good thing. Yeah. But think um, about that falling candle wax now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, the old saying <laughs> sticks out, doesn't it? Don't chafe and mine. Um, now, yeah, you know, but we do know what we know that inanimate, inanimate objects can be racist through standardized tests. Yep. Standardized tests for, for were written where urban kids of color would traditionally score lower than white kids in the burbs. Right. Um, because it was all based on, on white knowledge, white languaging. Yeah. And, and, and even something as simple as a pulse oximeter, that thing that the doctor puts on your finger mm-hmm. a few years ago, they found out that it had to be calibrated for your ethnicity in hospitals to get a proper reading. You're kidding. No, no. I remember the story vividly. And also statues. Are statues racist or are statues part of history? See, this is one I struggle with Mm -hmm. because we've gone through a period of time recently where we apply modern history to things that are inanimate objects to represent a time where life was very different. It doesn't defend what we know to be racism then. But if you go back into that period of time, those statues certainly belong in a museum and maybe not in a public square where they can cause outrage, mm-hmm. but you can't have a sliding scale for outrage. It just right. can't work that way. Right. Or 
20 years, 40 years, 50 years from now, they're going to look back at us and apply their scale in 50 years to everything we've done. Maybe they will hate this podcast. I doubt that very much, but I'm sure historians will look back and go, thinking about that 2020-ish era, 2015 and beyond, what the hell was America thinking at that point? Yeah. Well, aren't we all thinking that now? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have to wait for the historians. Right, um, right. So I guess the lessons we've learned are obvious. Dr. King was right then. He's right now. Mm-hmm. Judge a man and a woman by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Right. Um, and uh, and also, I can't promise you we'll do more trouser history down the road, but it's not oh, a I can. question. Oh, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. no more trouser history. I'm really into the trousers. Oh, you want to do more trouser history? Oh, yeah. Okay. Get a good night's sleep if you want to remember your dreams. And where did we land on lying to your kids? Do we teach them to lie? Do we help them? What do we do? I think we teach them to be kind yeah, because kindness, kindness um, definitely, um, you know, you're honest when, but you're honest and kind mixed together. You're going to know when to keep your little trap shut. And, uh, you know, <laughs> but you don't say it that way to the kids. I'm sorry. It was so kind of you to call my trap little. <clears throat> uh, thank you for listening. It's kind of you to listen. And thank you, Patty, as always, for playing my game and your game, a little something we now call the deep free. Love it. 